You're listening to Studentaftonpodden, a collaboration between Studentafton and Radio AF. Tonight with Jan Eliasson, Jan Mi Park and Saktia Maruf, listen to a unique conversation about courage, compassion and human rights. Moderated by Katarina Rolfsdotter. We have a dream. Fantastic project. Started in the year of 2000. Um, we have 114 uh, participants from 60 countries. And we're so lucky to have the co-founders here next to me. Um, they'll be giving a, source, a speech very soon. And we have uh, two ladies from the book and one gentleman from the book that's um, participating. Um, this We Have a Dream is both, as you know, a book, but it's also an exhibition. And the exhibition um, was just closed in Stockholm. 80,000 people saw it at Fotografiska Museum. Uh, that is good. And the best of all, that it opens in Lund here, Lund Konsthal, tomorrow. So that's great. I'm sure you'd like to hear the story, the background of this fantastic project. So, Oscar and Albert, um, please tell the story. Thank you. So it's very good to be here, and it's good to be back in Lund, because it's this where it all started uh, many, many years ago. And um, Albert and I, we started this project uh, because we thought that the world need to be bright. Uh, and it's not, it's, it, the world should not be a dark place. The world should be a place where we can empower youth. And we wanted, we wanted to make a, a project that actually could empower youth. And um, one of the first persons that we actually asked to contribute to We Have a Dream was Anna Lind. She was the Minister for Foreign Affairs. And um, Anna met us, met us actually here in Lund. And she approved the idea of participating in this project. And that, of course, meant a lot to us. And um, what happened was that in the, in the guest book, when, when we met her, she wrote to Albert, Albert, you are taking the most wonderful portraits. I'm sorry that I can't give you enough time. And um, could we please do the interview a little bit further on? And that was in 2002. And we all know what happened to Annalene. She was assassinated in Stockholm. Uh, the year after, so she is now a part of the book, and they both the exhibition and and and, uh, and the book, and the side next to her portrait is blank, as a symbol. And I think it's also interesting to know that one of the last persons to be portrayed by Albert uh, um, in this project was Malala, uh, who was almost assassinated, uh, and the span between from Anna Lind to Malala, um, two strong ladies. Um, I think that story is, is, um, is actually worth thinking about. What are you prepared to, to, to do in your life? To stand up for human rights, to stand up for um, um, women's rights and so on. And of course education. So um, I think it's uh, also important to know that of course Albert and I, we initiated this project. But, but now it, it, is it, it is engaging many, many people, uh, 80 thousand people in, in Stockholm, 
uh, and now it's here in Lund. We hope that many people will come to to see the exhibition and and to take participate and and to also um, uh, enjoy the stories because this is not a very dark project. This is actually a project containing very very dramatic stories, but always with a light um, and and a positive thinking. And we are creating now. When 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 you read in the magazines, it's like we're living in a society of fear, and I think this project maybe could could ease up and make may engage young people, and, and that's why it's so fantastic that to see that Kom Ung here in Lund making a a, um, a project actually on We Have a Dream, and also Frisus at Stockholm making um, actually made their own exhibitions. So stu seventy students. Uh, Made a fantastic exhibition that they took. They took the portraits and they wrote um, fabulous stories, sharing sharing their stories, and that's that's very rewarding to see. Um, so I will I will just uh, uh, give the word maybe to to Albert if you would like to say something. Thank you, Oscar. You're very kind. You have already said what I thought to say. <laughs> very easy for me. Um, it's an honor to be here. Uh, was here 44 years ago. I uh, was here first time 40 years ago. I will listen to Olof Palme, and um, he made smashed potatoes of some students who tried to beat him. Um, but anyway, um, I'm not very comfortable f comfortable to be in front of so much people. Uh, as I told you, I prefer to be. Yeah. Um <laughs> but. Uh <coughs> I have not much to say because you have already done it, but, but it's okay. Um, but I have a question, and uh, uh, it's to myself and uh, and to the to all of you. Um, that's uh, how much punishment are you willing to take for stand up for your rights? Some people are prepared to take a risk for their rights and for others and for their dreams, and that's uh, the, the 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 main. Meaning of the the, the project. Får jag fortsätta pengar? Ska jag? Svenska istället. Men det är som det som du nämnde Malala. Det det som är tycker jag är väldigt fint med det här projektet. Det är att vi har fått med och många av av våra främsta människosaktivister som finns på jorden och kanske inte finns längre heller. Men men vi har också fått med många okända som som kämpar i i i det, i det dolda uh, och jag vill ta upp ett exempel på då att Malala hon blir skjuten i huvudet uh, av talibaner som ville ta koll på henne för att hon kämpade för flickors rättigheter att gå i skolan men vi har också i Sverige en flicka som är med i projektet som som heter Ida Engblom som fick lov att gå i skolan men där hon dagligen blir mobbad Och det känns så fantastiskt fint att ha med henne där hon får, får den här revanschen att få vara i detta sammanhang bland många av de största förebilderna som finns och att, hon, att hennes röst är lika mycket värd. Och detta är lite grann projektets styrka och, och vår mission att uh, detta är ett vi-projekt. Och uh, jag hoppas att efter det här, den här kvällen att, att uh, ni tar med er berättelserna här från de här fantastiska personerna och, och även de som hänger i konsthällen att ta, ta vara på deras röster och bära med dem och, och dela med dem till dem ni till nära och kära. Ja, tack.
I'd like to, to ask our guests, guests now, um, why did you choose to participate in this project? Would you like to start, Jan? Why did you choose to participate? Generally, and um, uh, when I saw Albert's uh, pictures, I thought, said to myself, great. I didn't know at that time that I was going to be uh, one of those big, where you took the big book. But uh, I liked also, we have a dream, uh, because uh, we have so much misery in the world. And mm. when you say mm. that we have a dream, you also say we, have, we must have hope. And there I, I just remembered that Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, but the real Martin Luther. <laughs> he was told that the world would go under uh, in the 1540s. And he was a very hands-on uh, vicar and pastor and very practical. So someone asked him, what happens if the world would go under? And then he said something which I think could be at least my theme for tonight. He said, even if the world would go under tomorrow, I will plant my apple tree today. Mm. And that to me says it all. In a bad world, nobody can do everything, but everybody can do something. And when you told me the story about Ida, the girl who fought mobbing, and we who were in the power positions of, of power, that sends the message that we all have a duty to do the right thing. Thank you. I forgot to say that um, today sh she's, she's fighting for the... For uh, for the, the people who get uh, what is it, mobile bullet, yeah, and uh, uh, so yeah. <laughs> Thank you, you and me. What did you choose to participate in the, in the project? Oh, I don't have that grand explanation. <laughs> it's embarrassingly uh, when I met uh, the, you in in 2015 in Oslo. My English was not that good, <laughs> so <laughs> they said they're going to take you photo for free. <laughs> so <laughs> I literally thought <laughs> some good photo they are taking, and <laughs> I'm very humbled. <laughs> it's all, uh, yeah. <laughs> so when did you understand that you were going to be part of a book project okay. and an exhibition? I think I nodded, but I, but I didn't really understand <laughs> what they meant. <laughs> followed and but you're not regretting it are you yes now no. i i know what i did you know why you did <laughs> i'm it. very glad i did that you're glad you did it that's good that's Thank good you. Sorry. why did you uh, choose it to, to participate because um well uh two reasons uh first is because i'm terrified to be photographed mm. i'd i'd rather uh take a phd than <laughs> <laughs> Then, then being photographed, I yeah. am that, uh, uh, that terrified to be photographed. So uh, participating in this project is uh, one of the ways of, of uh, uh, facing my fear as well, one of the small <laughs> ways of facing, <laughs> of, uh, facing uh, my fear. And uh, another thing is that uh, having a dream, uh, growing up in my community, having a dream is a, a complete luxury and if mm -hmm. I can do something uh, about it that is uh, exactly what the, the message that Oscar and and Albert are, are sending to um, say that uh, I do have a dream and that all of us deserve 
to have a dream and to fight for it and also to be given a chance and access to fight for it. Everyone can have a dream, everyone, but not everyone has the opportunity, space, access mm. to actually realize it, skills to actually realize it. Thank you, Zakdia. Um, and thank you, Oscar and Albert, because you will... And um, I'm sure you're happy about that, Albert. <laughs> thank you so much. You're welcome to the founders of We Have a Dream. Thank you. <laughs> the guests have now prepared a five-minute presentation. Uh, and I know Jan is supposed to start. Do you have a is your sound system working? The good thing is that I now can leave my notes and speak uh, directly from my heart to you. And thank you for inviting me. Great to be back. Last time around, I think was 2006 when I was foreign minister. I lost power three weeks later. It was <laughs> it was the fault of student <laughs> of, of uh, this evening. But uh, anyway, I have wonderful memories of that uh, evening. Although less wonderful memories of the election results. <laughs> but I became a free man and uh, I came to New York in the end. Uh, you know, we young people have to stick together, so I decided to accept the offer to be Deputy Secretary General. And uh, I just come back now uh, since uh, the end of this past year. I am um, emotionally probably am between uh, relief on the one hand, let not. Great Swedish word. Mm -hmm. And uh, saknad. Uh, sort of a strange feel of where am I? Why don't they call me? What's going on? Well, don't they need my advice anymore? Mm. Uh, but it's great to be back home in Sweden. And uh, I, I really I think it's great. This is one of the first time I appear since I came back. And uh, to be here in Lund with you is just wonderful. The somber picture that we have in the world uh, is... Um, I think reason for us to, to gather like this. Uh, the the uh, somber side is, of course, the horrible crisis, the war in Syria, and the different conflicts in Africa, the great inequalities that we see around us, the uh, rampant uh, disregard of human rights in so many places, the complete neglect of international humanitarian law. There are so many reasons to despair Poverty, extreme poverty, and so forth. And um, in that situation, it's very basic human uh, that we say, well, let's create our own little world around ourselves, our family, a friend, and, and uh, forget the rest. Mm -hmm. Turn off the television and say, the world will continue. Uh, let's uh, stop the world. I want to get off. But my view is that uh, now is really the time to shape up. Uh, I have grown up from the working class areas of Gothenburg, Göteborg, and uh, been given a tremendously fortunate life. I've seen things go better and better for me personally and for life around me, uh, socially, economically, and politically. I've seen progress all the time. And I think we, we are at that stage now where our next step will decide whether we'll go upward or downward. 
In a way, I think we are sitting on a fence right now. I have this sense that what's going on now when you see the forces of division, the forces of polarization working and using the uh, tool of fear, skremsel taktik, uh, fear-mongering, uh, to chase us into different categories, then I think we must now realize that now is the time to stand up. Now is the time to stand up for international cooperation and solidarity. Now is the time to stand up for the strength and beauty of diversity. And now is, the strength, now is the time to stand up for tolerance and fight those forces that want to provoke us and then want to put us in the category of divisions and create a world which is going to be very dangerous. And um, I'm just now thinking what I'm going to do in the next few years. And I think that I want to spend time on the health of our democracies and the, the beauty of what we try to achieve based on most of our values that we got from our parents and grandparents creating this wonderful Sweden, but also the international and universal values. I still carry the UN Charter in my pocket. Do I need to prove it? <laughs> here do. it is. Uh, I've had it here. This is my 12th or 13th version. Now I also included the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, as you see. And um, I also think that we have... Um, it's so important that we stand up for these three words right now, uh, Katharina. Uh, courage. Courage which is demonstrated by the images, the pictures uh, of this exhibition that we saw. And by the way, one of those pictures uh, depicting courage, of all those people are here, the two friends of mine here and the podium. But another one is a man by the name of Anders Kompass. And I want to say that he is also one of those heroes who spoke out. I also think that we should remember the word passion, uh, the word compassion, medkänsla. I think it's actually better in English because I think that it rhymes with the word passion. And I say one thing about passion and compassion. Without passion, nothing happens in life. But without compassion, the wrong things happen. So I advise you to go out in this world with a combination of passion and compassion. And when it comes to human rights, I've come to the conclusion that you cannot divide peace and security, development, and human rights. In today's world, there is no peace without development. There is no development without peace, and none of the above without respect of human rights. Because these are three pillars that hold up as a society and the international order. If one of them is weak, peace, development, human rights, the whole structure is weak. And that's our big task. And I just hope that you go out in this world, realize that now is the time of mobilization of good forces. We have to right now mobilize these good forces and make sure that it's a convincing political message that we stand up for international cooperation and solidarity, that we stand up for diversity and that we stand up for tolerance and that we fight strongly those who want to divide us by fear. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Jan. I'm curious, Jan, to your, um, your, your choice to carry around the UN Charter. Mm. Uh, tell us, what started you bringing it with you? 
Well, I became a member of the uh, U UN Association in Göteborg uh, back, I won't say the year in front of the ladies, <laughs> a long time ago. And then I came to New York. No, no, then I came to, I worked in New York and I realized that in fact, even for people working with the UN, the charter was not known. So I had it in my pocket as a way of demonstrating that you've got to stand up for principles and values. Without principles and values, you don't know what direction to go. And I'm really proud that, that I carry with me this charter because you need to have a, almost a physical, uh, physical mm -hmm. sign of what it's all about. Mm -hmm. And I want to say as a last comment on this question that I learned a lot from uh, Dag Hammarskjöld, the famous Swedish Secretary General. Uh, he has a saying about the, f the future. And uh, by the way, he was really true to this charter. But he said about the future, the future is two things. The future is the horizon, he says, the vision and the principles and values. But he says the future is also every step you take tomorrow, the day after tomorrow, the next week. In other words, you have to have both a vision and a awareness that you reach that vision only by hard work and many, many steps to take. But if you have this charter in mind, you at least know what direction to go. Mm -hmm. so, so it's like a guidebook. It. It's a guidebook, right. Thank Excellent. you. I think I'm sorry it's going to start carrying around it too. It's, an, it's a good, uh, good feeling, I can say. Uh, thank you very much. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It is a great honor and a privilege uh, for me uh, to be here, uh, especially among students. I'm, I'm feeling very proud to be able to address this forum as uh, university, uh, college was uh, a life-changing uh, moment for me and I'm not thinking about drinking and sex, but <laughs> <laughs> that it has been a um, moment where I'm uh, actually uh, able to built myself into uh, becoming who I am today. Access to education, something that I've uh, mentioned uh, earlier uh, as well. And uh, allow me to begin by uh, telling you one of the stories that I often use uh, in my performances. And it goes something like this. Ladies and gentlemen, growing up in my community, I am very lucky that my father allows me to go to college with so many conditions that I wish I had a lawyer to help me negotiate. <laughs> I can go to college, but I'm not supposed to leave dorms after class. I'm not allowed to join any students' organizations or extracurricular activities. I'm not allowed to speak up. And most importantly, I am not allowed to meet anyone from the opposite sex. I realize, wow, Dad, I didn't think that you're such a great supporter of lesbianism. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yes, I, I wrote that story several years down my comedy career. And when I delivered it, I feel like I'm doing experiences of my life a justice. I did grow up in a community where life has been decided for you. And in the word of old American sitcom, father knows best. Mm. 
I was born and raised in a Hadrami Arab descent Muslim community in a small town of Pakalongan, Central Java, Indonesia, where people are trying really hard to pretend that they still live in the desert. Domestic violence and uh, early marriage remained our daily reality. I remember when I was a child, I used to sleep with pillow over my head to avoid listening to the yelling and the crying. I remember staying in my room for hours and hours and dreaming of having personal bathroom so that I did not have to face the reality of my family life on my way to the toilet. Yes, uh, growing up, my dream is as simple as having a personal bathroom. Too afraid to confront my situations, I learned the art of hiding. I created a small safe place in my backyard where I would go and chat with my imaginary friends. Some of them are actually very funny as they are characters from my favorite US sitcoms. I enjoy talking to them because when you live with and in fear, speaking up was a real luxury. Similar to my peers in the community, there's nothing much that I can do, but I was lucky that I have a mother like my mom. She embodies courage. No matter how painful it was for her, she stood up for me. She's the lawyer in the story that I told you earlier. She sent me to public school and later to university. I did not know how to thank her or how to help her at that time. In college, my father was not around, of course. Yay! <laughs> But the fear, but the fear stayed. So here, there I was again. Instead of confronting my father, I learned all the skills necessary to survive. And here are some tips for her, you, uh, university students. Strong disciplined, very punctual. Arriving at boarding house every night before dawn to receive a phone call from my dad before going out again. Uh, Learning to do different types of voices and impersonations of my dorm friends to assure my dad that I am safe and sound in the boarding house with my roommates. I developed creative, analytical thinking more sophisticated than any government or WikiLeaks to create a stunning range of excuses to tell my dad when I got caught. So uh, basically, you know, trying everything to survive and to practice my right and aspiration to speak up behind my father's back, of course. Mm. Unfortunately, I escaped the desert only to find a whole other desert waiting for me. I did not expect that the practices in my community to be as contagious. But in college and up until today, I witnessed Early marriage is increasingly endorsed and a more conservative and interpretations and practice of Islam is gaining momentum in Indonesia. Intolerance is increasing, violence is also increasing. I had escaped yelling and screaming at home only to find other Muslims screaming on the street. My immediate thought was, how are their daughters going to handle this? Will yelling and screaming and the fear that comes with it be the new normal in Indonesia? Will I let that happen? Do I have a strength to resist? And if I do, 
how would I go about that? With the assistance of one of Indonesia's great industry, DVD piracy, I found uh, Robin Williams' live on Broadway stand-up comedy special. I watched it and I was blown away. I fell in love with stand-up comedy instantly. I felt my whole life was flashing before my eyes. Everything started to make sense. My whole life, I have been in a training without realizing it to be a stand-up. I thought at that time, I have to do this. So I auditioned for a television comedy show. I remember my first joke was not very funny. It goes something like this. A husband and a wife sat at a dining table having breakfast. The husband asked, darling, was I really that bad? Why did you sleep during sex last night? The wife replied, no, dear, you're not bad at all. I was just really good at multitasking. <laughs> <laughs> terrible, terrible jokes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, be before, <laughs> before, <laughs> before, before the audition for a television show, actually, uh, I, I told that joke in front of my professors and, and a classroom full of language and culture students. Mm. What a cultured joke. <laughs> and so I crafted many jokes afterwards and performed at several televisions and off-air gigs in Indonesia. I look at myself and realize that I was growing more into topics that I'm truly concerned about extremism, intolerance, and even terrorism in Indonesia. I would say something like, uh, I got an idea that Indonesian jihadists should just stop using guns because it's too American. And <laughs> And they should start using local weapon, the bamboo runching, sharpened bamboo stick. This way they could really gain better image by branding their action as eco-terrorism. <laughs> we hate you, but we love the environment. Mm. And, and I believe that will you know, definitely gain them uh, a lot of support from a couple of hipsters and vegans. <laughs> <laughs> So, <laughs> so yes, ladies and gentlemen, I feel alive on stage. Comedy makes me believe that I am a woman that my mom raised me to be. And I am also the proud daughter of my father. An angry man he may be, but also a man with the most beautiful sense of humor and comedic timing. I am finally free. I'm free because comedy heals. It, teach, it teaches me to cope and love and forgive. Comedy is highly subversive and aggressive, but to say the least, it is not angry. It facilitates, it, it facilitates anger, but it is not a rage. It facilitates payback, but it is not a revenge, only a comeback. A revival, going high when everyone is going low. Comedy facilitates ridicule of the powerful and the complacent in the spirit of hope, reflection, and optimism that something can change, that my father is actually a generous and kind man inside. 
that he named me Sakdia for a reason. Yes, uh, Sakdia is an Arabic word for happiness. And now that um, I am perhaps embodied happiness through my work in comedy, if I can have a dream, it will be that someday the daughter of ISIS leaders, Al-Qaeda leaders, or the great-granddaughter of Donald Trump, perhaps, <laughs> will grow up becoming a comedian. That person, <laughs> that person is just waiting to be born and stand up. And in the meantime, let's continue working and laughing. Thank you. You and me. Your story is different. <laughs> um, we'd love to hear what your presentation is now, please. <laughs> Thank you. I forgot. <laughs> uh, hi, everyone. My name is Yanni Par, and I'm 23 years old. Uh, I came very far away from all the way to uh, New York. <laughs> but where I was born, it was uh, even further, which called North Korea. And we don't really even think it's the same planet. It's a different universe. And that's what I'm feeling right now. Uh, this project was called We Have a Dream, right? Uh, I think I only now have a dream. When I was being uh, taking the photograph, I didn't really have a dream because I never learned what dream was. The very first thing that I learned when I was in North Korea was how not to whisper because my mom told me the birds and mice can hear me, so don't whisper. And my world was very different. I didn't have this kind of exhibitions to encourage me to dream big or to have passion or anything, rather how not to whisper and die for my dear leader. Uh, it's. It's quite sad because I want to laugh in my work, but I think what's happening in North Korea has been too long, and we cannot really make fun of it anymore. There's nothing wrong about making fun of a dictator because he's funny, <laughs> because people in North Korea, just like me and you, are there, doesn't even know what dream really is. I escaped with my mother when I was 13, went to China and being, a, being sold as a bride to a man. And my mother also sold for $65. And it really, it's very hard for me to comprehend. Now I'm in a world in Sweden, I went out today to shops and some of the bags were like 80 euros. And just sometimes I really forget where I'm from and sometimes this is expensive than my own mother. And this is the world we are living in. Oh, we, I guess I don't really have to tell you how horrifying North Korea is because 
You know that people get killed for watching movies. You know that they get killed for making international phone calls. People get killed for everything in that country. And, you know, it is the darkest place on earth. It's not just really oppressive because they don't have 24 hours electricity and they have Earth Day every day. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my word. And a lot of North Korean women like me escaped to China and being sold. And they don't even know the world like we are living in right now exists. Uh, I think that's why I'm here today. It's your hair that uh, Kim Jong-un just killed his own, own half-brother in Malaysia. And he put it on target list two years ago. So I am on his list. It's not, I don't think I'm brave because it's embarrassing. This conference should be about courage and bravery. But I am scared to die because I love life. I, I love being free. I love being like living life, but I at least have this voice right now that my people doesn't have, that my father never had until he died. He buried in the mountain in China, and he never knew what freedom of speech was. And that's why I'm here. I don't ask you to be brave, because I am scared. But I think you have a voice like me. And I don't know how long I will have this voice because the dictator like Kim Jong-un is alive. Well, a few days ago, I went to our streets, Poland, because I guess I'm so scared, so I do lots of things that I think I might not be able to do someday. And it was very depressing to see what really happened. Oh. Uh, but I think with my old journey being uh, being raped, being a slave, being in the oppression, being starved, and being free now, that I really learned what it means to be a human being. There was a time I lost my faith in humanity, and man, I could not ever trust human beings again. But now I believe in human beings because my father was a man and people like there's Mandela existed. And also the Holocaust taught me something because it didn't really only teach me how hard it was. It taught me hope. The people who resisted these Nazis, they said, never say there's no hope. And that's why I believe in my speech and my voice now and here because I believe the North Korea can be free like us because you cared enough tonight and came here to listen to us and you know that people in North Korea just like us. Oh, it's I get really offended a lot of times because people talk about lots of things, right? Talk about therapy, counseling, And to me, it was like many problems that we talk about in this world that doesn't really seem to be a problem to me. Like my best friend in New York sometimes cries and calls me, and you know, my boyfriend didn't call me, and she's crying, and I say, 
do you really think that's a problem? <laughs> do you know really what problem is? And even today, I before give this talk, I had a salad. And I never heard like what vegetarian meant. When I was in North Korea, I ate a lot of salad because that's all I got. And I ate, you know, I feed my rabbit. I needed its skin. And I never knew what animals rights. And now I'm eating salad. I guess I'm American. <laughs> I pay for it. <laughs> but it's beautiful word. Now I heard about animals' rights. I never knew I had rights as a human being. People in North Korea, they don't know they have rights. If you don't know what you deserve, how do you demand what you can have? And that's why I think, you, I hope you can speak for my people now because you heard me. And I hope you see my people through me. It's, we have room for climate change. We have room for gender equality. We have room for climate change. Like animals, rights, all that, but why not North Korea? For 70 years, it's been forgotten from the rest of the world. So thank you again for listening to me. I'm so sorry I made it so dark. So <laughs> I'm sorry. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. What you show is compassion, because you have compassion with your people. And when you show your compassion, we can feel it, and we also get to in contact with those feelings, right? And I'm curious about, you all three have very big different backgrounds, but you're all very driven by compassion. And how is that? Is that something that you develop as you grow up, or is it something that you can sort of develop as you get older, compassion? Jan, how is compassion to you? Did, was, did, did, were you born with that? I don't know. Uh, I can't just get over this uh, one mm -hmm. uh, introduction from uh, young women. I just want another round of applause. When I, when I hear uh, Sakya and Yonmi here, I really get hope. And I think that in today's world, uh, we have a lot to hope for. And I, I think uh, women's full emancipation and young girls' power has come out more strongly than I can almost ever record. Right? Here, here. It's just wonderful. And um, I also think that um, you brought out to me uh, the what this is basically all about. Here we have one woman who looks at society and sees it through the lens of humor and releases energy that comes from that. It's just wonderful. And then you have a, a person who is, by the risk of her life, is here with us tonight. Uh, human rights defenders, as you are, they need defenders. And I think we ha should have a pact, an alliance, 
in solidarity with these uh, women, women. You are only two women on this stage, but they are all over the world. I have met your sisters uh, all over the world. And I am given, I'm getting hope. I think also, we speak about we should do more for, for young people. But I think we should change concept. We should work more with young people. That's the new approach. Because you are all young in this room, most of you. It's a bit dark, but I think you are young. Uh, and you are young. And I think we should simply sh change concept. Why should we wait for 20 years for you to grow up and have political power? We should be there with you. In order for me to understand what's going on in the world, my granddaughter, age 10, Agnes, teaches me more about this than anyone else. Every time I'm home, she teaches me something new with this. She does it in three seconds. And she said, Grandfather, you don't know this? So I'm saying, young people have a great chance. I have a background which is very unusual for diplomats. I grew up under very, very simple circumstances. I had no chance to have an education until the changes that took place politically in Sweden in the 40s, 30s and 40s. And I was the first one to get more than four years of education. My, my aunt died in uh, tuberculosis. And um, I wasn't given a chance. But because of the political changes, the right education, and uh, the uh, drive of my parents who had wonderful expectations. My mother was very religious. Uh, and she thought there is a divine intention with life. In Gudomlig avsikt med livet. My father, he was more hands-on. He wasn't very religious. He simply said that the meaning with life is life itself. And in both cases, they sent me the message that we have a time given to us. And we better stand up for values, for what is important, and never give up on them. So that has been driving me uh, every day. And um, to be here today, at the end of my career, I feel completely revived and almost moved, as you notice, mm. by just being present with these two wonderful uh, women who will set a direction for the future for all of us. And I think we were all similarly moved. Thank you very much. Excellent, John. Thank you. <laughs> one of the topics, uh, one of the subjects for the topic of the speech tonight is compassion. And I'd just yeah. like to, to connect back because compassion is sort of a very strong driving force. And you had a difficult upbringing. You were under a lot of pressure. How were you able to develop the compassion that really shows in your, in your comedy? Because it, it's a caring approach mm -hmm. with your sense of humor. Well, um, it's uh, because the very uh, first uh, sentence that uh, my mom uh, taught me and uh, that is uh, also the very first uh, first of the Quran is in the name of God most merciful and most compassionate. Mm. And um, I think uh, it stays with me mm. not only because I am a Muslim but because it makes sense. Mm. The way everything about our life is fascinating the way we are able to breathe, the way, you know, the way 
it, it, it sounds cliche, but when you're, when you're looking at the sun and the moon and the birds and, and the dogs, even though I'm afraid of dogs, mm -hmm. but <laughs> it, uh, nothing works without compassion. Mm -hmm. It's very true. Yomi, when you told us so movingly about your, um, your escaping uh, the dictatorship, um, mm. and you also mentioned that you did lose faith in humanity, and this is something we, we really, really need to keep mm. on hanging to it, clinging to the faith of humanity. How did you regain it? How did you get it back? Because I, I think all of us sometimes sort of lose faith mm -hmm. in humanity. How did you get it back, Yomi? I didn't go to therapy because simply it was too expensive. <laughs> um, I guess it's very hard. I don't think there's one moment that really restored my faith. Uh, but I guess I just started to learn how to give. I never thought of myself as a victim. And I never dared to start pity myself because that was endless journey. Mm. So that's what I did when my sister who I lost for seven years and I found her after seven years and then again and she started pity herself and I said, what are you doing? I mean, after you survive all that and you're gonna just blame for others, then what's the point you survived it? And amazing. I never let her do it, and I never let myself do it, and I'm very grateful what I went through. Oh, I guess the compassion is really, I don't think it's very grand to me because my life was like, I didn't have basic needs. I didn't even know what that was. You know, my life was surviving every day, finding something to eat, and never had time to thinking about these philosophical questions, but... Now I'm thinking what compassion really is, I guess. It's our survivor. Mm. Imagine if no one has compassion, how do you know what's gonna happen to your children in the future? And mm. what if everyone becomes dictated and no one speaks for each other? I guess it's just like, it's our like uh, only way to survive as a humanity. Mm. I don't see other way around it. Mm. I don't know if that makes sense. It did make sense, <laughs> absolutely. Mm. Another topic of tonight is courage, and um, that's you're telling the story of courage in the book. Um, and is courage something you just find in yourself, or is it something you develop? I mean, Yon, you, for instance, you must have had many times in your career where you really had to dig for courage deep inside. Life is full of uh, compromises, uh, but uh, I think it's important that we have this horizon, the Doug Hammarskjöld's vision. Uh, and then we decide on our own, what is important? What is it I'm going to stand up for? Maybe from my background, my most sensitive spot is when I don't see respect for everybody's equal value. Mm. When I see that you give a different quality label to one versus another. When I see that, I, I rarely get angry, but I, I, and I rarely show it. But that is where I really go very, very, very strongly in full direction. 
And whatever that costs, when I see that happening, I speak out. Uh, and I've done so all my life because I've seen how my parents were treated. I've seen how people with the different views are persecuted, and I can't stand it. And I think uh, maybe courage is, is too much of a qualitative word. Maybe it's just um, humanity, that you believe in, in uh, you have one time around in life, I guess. And then what is, what is the purpose of going this round of mm -hmm. life? It is, of course, to do the right thing for yourself, but above all, it's, it's to do the right thing for others. Nothing gives you more pleasure and satisfaction than trying to help others. And when you see injustices, it's for your own dignity absolutely crucial that you speak out and that you don't give in. And I think now, as I said in the beginning here, I think now is the time for us to speak out and say, stop. We don't want to have us and them around us. And we don't want to be scared. Yeah. I think we should be carried by hope and determination to change things. And that's what I feel is in this room. Thank you. Thank you, Jan. Sagdia, uh, in your, your profession mm -hmm. as a comedian, yeah. you must be very courageous because you do challenge a lot of, um, lot of uh, rules in society. So how do you, where do you find your courage? Oh, I'm actually afraid all the time. I mean, mm. uh, being, <laughs> being, being a stand-up and and you know alone uh, delivering jokes, my my feet are, are shaking. <laughs> uh, my <laughs> my feet are shaking all the time. But uh, I guess the thing is, there are many many more uh, things that are more important than fear, and that. And that being uh, being afraid um, means only only means that uh, it is a way uh, to uh, remind you to grow stronger mm. and uh, to be able to uh, overcome uh, the fear and to be able to be more uh, equipped. And uh, also to believe. But are you being challenged? I mean, are you being under threat, like you and me? Your your your, exp your experience is that you. I mean, you are. Your life is under um, is threatened. Threatened. Do you have any 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 uh, threats c that really scare you uh, on a oh, daily nothing, basis? nothing. Nothing compares to you and me. Mm. <laughs> Internet trolls. <laughs> <laughs> There, <laughs> people, <laughs> people who are, you know, people who are uh, accusing me of, you know, being whitewashed, mm. of, of, you know, uh, not following uh, the uh, example of of the prophet. I, w I, I would just say to them, it is also not an example from the prophet to spend your quality time watching a girl on YouTube. <laughs> and. <it's laughs> Right back at them. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. I'm sure all of you three up here had a specific, or many specific turning points. So you really felt that you had to, to act against all odds. And you and me, in your, in your story, as I read it in the book, there was a specific point where you really had to master all your courage, uh, sort of as at a turning point to decide to move on or not to move on. Can you tell, tell us about that moment? Uh, 
the biggest point, <laughs> turning point was uh, when I gave first speech two mm. years ago in Dublin, and and that was the first time I saw people actually cared about Norwegian people because until then I thought no one really cared. Mm. How did that feel when you felt the the love coming back from the audience? Uh, I guess it's so. <laughs> I think I do feel very lucky mm. that I was being heard, and during these seventy years of you know closed mm. country, only hundred seventy two North Korean defectors made it to United States. One hundred seventy two. Not a lot of them, and one of them <laughs> from twenty five million. Mm. I'm here and I'm speaking English and I have this platform. Well, you do oh. very well, too. <laughs> Thank you. But I guess I don't think I am like very special in any way, but there got to be some reason why. Because I could have been cared in so many ways, mm. and somehow I survived it. I don't believe in any religion, but I do believe in bigger force. Mm. And I guess that's why I think... There was every reason why I survived, so that's why I keep going in and oh, tell the story <laughs> because not many of us have survived and can tell the story, unfortunately. And you wrote a book? Yes. Mm -hmm. Are you planning on writing more books or is it lecturing that will be your major, <laughs> major way of getting out your, your, uh, your word? I mean, like, I, I don't even know I'm going to make it to next month. <laughs> so hopefully, yes. <laughs> when did you write your book, Yumi? Oh, I guess like over a year now. Mm -hmm. it's, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure s many people here in the room actually read your book. So, so oh, it's, thank you. It's a fantastic read. Very strong, obviously. Thank mm. you. Human rights. Human rights are under threat. Um, the book is very much about human rights. And Jan, you initially started out talking about human rights and the importance of, of, of respecting them at this time, at point, at time in, in, in history. Um, from a UN perspective, you just left the United Nations. Um, how strong is the role of the UN in the protection of human, human rights right now? Mm. I know you, you, you've been uh, telling the word of frustration about conflicts, for instance, in Syria, that's not really being resolved. What, is, what can you say about the work of the United Nations right now in terms of human rights? Well, I'm usually asked, I'm, I'm often asked the question whether I'm an optimist or a pessimist. Hmm. And my answer today is I'm, I'm an optimist, but I'm a worried optimist. And uh, I'm a great friend of the United Nations, but I'm not an uncritical friend of the United Nations. I mean, we have shown weaknesses on so many areas, uh, the Security Council, the veto, Syria war. And as I said in the beginning here, uh, the uh, violations of human rights are unbearable. And the uh, disregard of international humanitarian law is, is horrible. So uh, I see a pretty somber picture. But I say this organization is our hope. It was created out of the horrors of the period between 1930 and 1945. It's one of the darkest periods in human history. And uh, if we were to abolish the UN, we would meet tomorrow and try to create something similar or better. 
So I think we, we simply have to agree that we are going through an uphill battle, but we must never give up. Alva Myrdal, who was a former Swedish minister, who, um, whom I admired very much, she said when she was dis they disputed that there could be nuclear disarmament, and she said, come on, it is not dignified to give up. The ovärdigt att ge in Swedish. And we simply have to just uh, gather around uh, human rights, come back to human rights, and remind ourselves that if we don't show respect for the human life on the individual level, we cannot have peace with the nations. Build with nations. That's, how it, well, that's where it starts. And uh, therefore, I think uh, the two of you here are a great inspiration. Uh, you asked about moments that meant much in our lives. Mm. I remember when I was asked by the Raoul Wallenberg family, 1995, 22 years ago, because I had dealt with the uh, Raoul Wallenberg file in the Swedish Foreign Ministry. And they asked me to speak in Parliament, 50 years after he disappeared. He's a great hero of Sweden. He, made, he, he took so many Jews out of Budapest uh, in the end of the war. He disappeared into the Soviet Union and uh, faded out. We tried to find out more. But the family knew that I have, was completely engaged with that. So instead of asking a famous person at that time, 22 years ago, to speak, they asked me to go in Parliament to speak about Wallenberg. And that to me was a sign that if I can communicate, if I can show that my determination can be translated into action, then I will continue on that road to the very end. So thank you. Thank you, Jan. It's almost time to take questions from the audience, but I'd like to, uh, to pose one final question um, about hope. Because I think without hope, we're, we're more or less doomed. We need to have hope for a better future uh, for the uh, generations ahead and also for, for you, you're still young. Um, so, Sektia, mm -hmm. hope for you. I mean, what, what, what do you hope for the future and how, how do you think we could sort of push to realize more hope in, in, in people's hearts. Uh, yes, uh, as as I mentioned uh, earlier, that uh, if if I can have uh, one dream, and and I pray that uh, all 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 the time uh, about this, that someday a a girl will appear from the darkest part of the world and stand and laugh <laughs> because laughing means that we have overcome mm -hmm. because for me personally sometimes laugh mean laughter means laughter comes when it is already too painful to cry but also laughter comes out of realizations that we are uh, uh, basically, you know, spending too much time being uh, despair and sad mm -hmm. and uh, realizing that, uh, well, for, for me personally, that... Uh, Good sides, bad sides, you know, negative, positive, suffering. I, I adore Yonmi when, when 
she said that she's feeling very fortunate of what she's mm -hmm. going through because not everyone has a chance to grow as, as a person that she is growing to with such courage mm -hmm. and, 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 and bravery and also wisdom. And uh, yes, I think laughter is one word to, is to uh, replace we shall overcome and we have overcome and we will overcome. It's a wonderful image of the laughing, the smiling girl, isn't it? Yomi, you spoke of, of uh, very powerful about, uh, about your, your country, your fellow men and, and fellow women still in North, in North Korea. Um, when you think of hope, what do you think about? Do you think about your your uh, your people left behind, or what is hope for you? Going home. Mm. I want to go home. You want to go home. Yeah. That's my home. Mm. <laughs> and home will be North Korea. Mm. Of course, will, will it be changed? Will yes, be? Mm. I hope. And what I do you go see? What do you see when you see home? Uh, I guess I go home and I go to movies with my friends and no one get executed for that. Mm. And I will go to nightclub <laughs> with my girlfriends and no one tell me what to wear. And I can come go to vacations with my friends because in North Korea, they are not only allowed to leave the country because they are not even allowed to move inside the country. They don't know they have the right to move. So I hope I can go to movies, I can go to travel with my friends and doing all that and most of all say bring my father to home mm -hmm. because that was my history. Mm. So you'd like to bring him home? Yeah. Mm. Well, <laughs> best of luck and we'll just keep, keep working for that all together. So. Jan, what is hope for you? What do you hope for? Women. 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 <laughs> we Girls. like that. <laughs> Young people. Mm. Knowledge. Science, technology, using our resources for the betterment of man, both for peace and security, development and human rights. And then I believe fervently in uh, international cooperation, international solidarity, and I hope nobody breaks it up. Those are my four factors of hope. And they are strong if we use it wisely and we mobilize all these good forces, all this goodwill that exists, that we feel in this room. There's a lot of feeling, a lot of power in this room. So let's just keep working together. You're listening to Studentaftonpodden. We will now continue with questions from the audience. Hello, and thank you all for contributing with your compassionate stories. I have a question for Mr. John Eliasson. Uh, in 2013, Edward Snowden revealed uh, that the US government ran uh, surveillance programs that were unconstitutional and uh, kept hidden from the American public. Now he has been uh, outside of the US for almost four years. I was wondering, 
Did you ever have to deal with that issue? Uh, what was the talk? And do you think Edward Snowden is a political refugee or a criminal? Thank you. Well, I actually haven't followed that case uh, in detail, but I, I think it requires a lot of uh, scrutiny and uh, good discussion because it has to do with the, uh, with the um, secrecy of information and uh, the right to know, which is a very important aspect of modern life. On the other hand, I've also been on the other side of the fence. I've been foreign minister. I've been responsible for very uh, confidential information and know that it has to be protected. So I'm a bit torn on that issue. But I have followed his uh, interviews and discussions around his fate. And uh, I think it's a growing discussion. And I think it's really worth analyzing this in depth. But I must say it would be irresponsible for me to come out with sort of a golden formula. But I think we have to try to strike a balance between the right to know and the right to knowledge. But then, of course, unfortunately, the the need for maintaining some type of confidentiality on issues that relate to security. So um, um, I have to pass this one. And it's not a very good, solid answer, but that's the only thing I can say at this time. A very diplomatic answer from a diplomat. <laughs> I'm retired now, so I've decided to, <laughs> I've retired to speak my mind. But on this one, I, did, I don't have enough background mm. to speak more clearly than I did just now. Mm. That's, that's honest. Hello. Hi, uh, Yeonmi. Thank you for being here and all of you other guests. Uh, I believe North Korea is going to be the biggest dark guilt of our generation. Mm -hmm. There is information out there on, the, on the, what's happening in the country. Uh, but my basic question is, what do you believe uh, has to be done? Do you think there's a development that has to happen within the country? Mm -hmm. Or do you think that there's something that the outside community can do to, to put pressure on or to... Force, mm -hmm. force development. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for your question. Uh, I think there are things absolutely we can do. So big three. One is raising awareness. So <laughs> when I'm in America, people say, like, where are you from? And I say, Korea. And they say, North or South? Mm. Impossible from North Korea, right? Mm. There's no way we can have hold the passport and fly to America. So I guess like that's how little we know about North Korea. We we know Holocaust happened, but we don't know it's happening again, mm. and we are ignoring again. So I think that's very important. Uh, I hope today when you go home and if you go to movie, I hope you remember that people die from it. And you can tell your friends their lives are just being killed, like just for watching a movie. And that's what we need to do, raising awareness. And the second is there are a lot of NGOs in South Korea now. They are rescuing people. So they are going to China. And if the factory escape to China, they normally 80-90% of them being sold to human slavery. Most of them being sold for Chinese men because China had one child policy and they didn't have enough girls in the countryside. So the men had mental dysfunction or physical and all those problems. Married people buy these girls as their wives. Mm. 
and also brothers. And a lot of them, they drug this woman because they, they refuse to what they ask. And this woman get addicted. So they have to follow the order. That's how inhuman the condition is for this woman. Uh, so these NGOs go to China and then they buy them sometimes back from the broker or sometimes they ask them to run away. So they re-rescue them through Thailand to South Korea or to America or Britain. The rescue can be done. And the third is getting information inside of North Korea. We do talk about North Korea in the news a lot of times, but what is the really point? We know about what's happening in the country, but the people inside have no idea what's happening. Mm-hmm. Like when I was in North Korea, when I watched the movie Titanic, mm. that was a turning point to me because I never learned in school what Shakespeare was, what Romeo and Juliet was. What I learned was how to kill American bastards. Mm. And in North Korea, people, they don't know what love is. They don't have word for love, liberty, human rights, mm. human dignity, animals' rights, of course. Mm. So they have no concept of all these things that we have. So getting information through Chinese borders in this DVD or leaflets, I believe that's what they Germany did when they had a war. Mm. They had the radios. They had the balloons sent to the mm. each other mm. to the leaflets. So that's how send the information within the country. And that can be done so we can free people's minds. So big three things, tell your friends about North Korea what's happening, sharing on social media, and write letters to your politicians and our leaders in the world because we need to stop China to send the North Korean defectors back to their country to get Mm -hmm. killed. Mm -hmm. It's it's against the law. You have the United Nations Declaration. They cannot do that. China is committing a crime against humanity. But no one dare to speak up because a lot of special interests for business. No businessman wants to offend China mm-hmm. because they won't have business. That's why North Korea hasn't been solved for until today, even though they have nuclear weapons to bomb humanity right now. So tell your politician we have to pressure on China, start helping North Korean regime, and second, we can rescue people like during the Holocaust. There are people bravely save the Jews. That can be done right now. Mm-hmm. And third, getting information. And this all can be done on the just through NGOs that you can Google. That's how simple it is. So thank you so much for your question again. Thank you. Thank you, Yonbin. <laughs> thank you. Very so concrete. Much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Hello, uh, I'm so very inspired about all of you, and I think all of us in this room are so very grateful that we get uh, a face uh, to represent uh, the North Korean people, because now we feel something. When we hear about North Korea in the news, it feels so far away, but now we get like, Yeah, and uh, um, 
I want to ask you, both of you who did not grow up in uh, the Western world, about um, what do you think, coming from your countries, about the way we are living? Do you, do you have <laughs> like, do you have something to give us to think about, like uh, what we should appreciate more mm. or? Uh, Taktia, please. <laughs> you can give us a joke if you want to. <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's uh, it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting uh, questions. What what do I think about uh, people who are uh, living in the West? The West. <laughs> well, as uh, as a, a good uh, stereotypical Muslim, I will say that <laughs> many of you are uh, infidels, and that we <laughs> and and that uh, you are um, uh, wearing uh, too much of a miniskirt, mm -hmm. and. <laughs> And that you are influencing people in the East to act. No, <laughs> I think um, one thing. One thing that uh, I can say, I guess, never ever take freedom for granted. Mm. That's a solid one. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. It's nice to call everyone infidel. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Would you like to continue? No. You're done. <laughs> it's great. Me. Coming from, from North Korea and living now in New York City, mm -hmm. what are your reflections on life in terms of what we can bring us to think about? Yeah, uh, I hope it's off the record. <laughs> it's, 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 it's not okay. Oh. <laughs> but I still have to say what I believe because I don't know when I'm gonna die. So mm. <laughs> I need to have the grip. I don't really need that, you know, polished reputation. I think just you guys are spoiled, really. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> really. Yeah. I, <laughs> when I was writing this book, of course, it was so hard. When I was writing the part in North Korea, I felt like I was in North Korea. Mm. And writing being in China, I felt like I was being raped again. Mm. And seeing my father, and it was very, very horrifying. But people think in the West generally, not everyone, think there's solution for everything, mm. really. And they say, you should not suffer, you should not be sad, you should go to talking to, to counselor. Mm. And what is so bad about feeling pain? Mm. I don't think like it's just the idea you have to be happy absolutely every single second in life. To me, it's almost like nonsense. It's, mm. life is hard, that's base, and if you laugh one day, that's a great thing. 
uh, I guess what I really felt in the West a lot of times was uh, maybe having too much is a problem too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I had to really understand what modernity mean, meant. Mm-hmm. For me, what made me the happiest was having the electricity one day. And my dream was having a one bucket of bread because I never tested my stomach. I never ate until I, when I felt full. Mm-hmm. So I thought like I could eat the mountain size of food when I was young. Mm-hmm. I really thought like I was like betting with my sister, you know, I bet I'm gonna eat billions of like, you know, bread and I didn't even know what billion meant. Mm-hmm. And she said, no, I can eat 10 times of what you said mm. because she didn't know what was after billion was. Mm. And that was my life and now I'm here. People having problems with having so much food. Mm. But I guess it's just that we lost perspective so mm. quickly. And that is why I'm grateful because if I, I have not gone through what I went yeah. through, yeah. I'm gonna be so miserable now thinking about my career thinking about future, mm-hmm. <laughs> thinking about am I famous, am I pretty, yeah, why yeah, I'm yeah. so short, mm-hmm. why I'm Asian, mm-hmm. why I have accent, mm-hmm. why, don't have, why, don't, why am I not smart, like yeah. all that is going to make me so miserable, I'm, like reading all those like, you know, mm-hmm. just pop sure. stars in their bodies, yeah. and I guess that's it, get some perspective guys, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> thank you. Thank <laughs> you so much. Am I, <laughs> am I okay? You are tall and you are beautiful. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you so much. These ladies. Thank you. <laughs> these ladies are handing out some, some tough love from up here. <laughs> That's good. My name is Edda Maina. Um, I'm not a student. Uh, I'm a human rights defender. And at times when I listen to you, I really don't know how to be objective because at times the fear of death, like you say, overwhelms someone. Um, I remember last night we were crying with my daughter because our protection funding is coming to an end. And this is what I wanted to avoid saying. It's coming to an end on 15th of April. We don't have funding. And we were asking if we can go back to Kenya and we are being told we'll be killed because Mm. the problem is still there. But my question is, um, where do we have these people who protect protect human rights defenders? Because at times there there had to be so many, a lot of funding out there, but when it comes to actual need, you don't get it coming your way. Mm. I have been Working in the UN, I've been an expert on the UN Committee on the Rights of People with Disability for six years. I have assisted people with disabilities, the elderly and everybody else for 18 years. And when I'm in dire need, I call every other organization and I'm told there's no funding, there's no funding. Mm. And I'm really, really in a situation where I look at my daughter, she's 20 years old and I wonder, what do we do? Mm. So when I heard about this, the first thing I thought even if it's just a forum to come and share, to come and meet other human rights defenders, mm. I think that's healing. 
So I don't know whether I, I did a mistake to make a statement, mm. but I think it's both a statement and a question mm. because I think the world needs to look at itself and ask itself whether it's actually doing what at times it's hard to say and not act. Mm. Because we hear of so many organizations, but these organizations at some point don't act, but they react when somebody gets killed. I wonder how many times people will only react when people have been killed as opposed to protecting them mm -hmm. when they are alive. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. So how do we protect the ones protecting human rights? Well, it might be uh, paradoxical if I tell you that the biggest problem for standing up for human rights defenders is another sacred principle in international relations, and that is sovereignty. Solidarity, unfortunately, is too often forced to end at a border and not in people in need. Mm. We have an organization in today's world which builds on the respect for territorial integrity and sovereignty. It's even written into this charter that I have in my pocket. And this means that people like us here and myself, I can tell you, I've had sleepless nights, frustration over the fact that I know the things that are going on inside borders, unbearable things. And my means, my tools are limited. We have to therefore make sure that governments are reminded of their attachment, their commitments to human rights. We have to make sure that parliaments are feeling that they have a responsibility to stand up for the people the first three words of this charter is we the peoples. We are supposed to serve the peoples. We have to also make sure that the civil society, the non-NGOs, get more muscle and are supported by everyone inside the country and from outside. We have to sure that be sure that universities and the teachers and students, the faculty and students are there defending the university, the word university in itself is universal. Uh, and then we can't avoid the question, we all have responsibility. Again, nobody can do everything, but everybody can do something. And the, that's why I said human rights defenders need defenders. And I'm, fear, I'm sure after this evening, which is a memorable evening, uh, we will all be realizing what can we do to defend those who are in danger, actually, as we see at this podium. And how can we live up to our own principles. We in Sweden should be enormously grateful for what our great, great grandparents and parents did for us to build the society. And I think what we heard here, don't take freedom for granted and don't, please don't ever forget that we have to work for it. We can't just take it for granted. We are spoiled in a way. Every morning I wake up now and I pinch myself I open the window and look out and I say, my God, a peaceful country, prosperity, children that are going to school, yes, we have our problems, but my God, they are nothing as to related to what's outside. So, uh, yes, just get going and, uh, and stay on the side of the oppressed, stay on the side of the victims. And there are many organizations that you could work with or give money to that actually do work with these topics, thank, thankfully. Uh, they do need lots of support. And it's interesting what you said about the uh, organizations in South Korea. 
I'm sure many people here will go home and Google and see what they can do to support those organizations. Yes, thank you. Uh, I was thinking about, you just talked about the tools which we can use to help out the peoples in need, uh, but when it comes to a state level, is there, what is the best tool for like Sweden to, to uh, use to help these other countries and these people in, in need? Do you think military interventionism is a good tool, or uh, <laughs> especially directed to you, Jan, uh, seeing as you have much political experience, what is uh, the best tools to use on a state level? Thank you. Well, I'm a great friend of uh, Joseph Nye, the, uh, the American political scientist who speaks about the power, the soft power. I think we uh, have a much better chance of influencing developments in the world if we uh, stand by our de democratic societies, live up to the principles of which were guiding us in our country and uh, which I think are, should guide us internationally. Uh, yes, sometimes, unfortunately, there is a need for confrontation. When Hitler uh, started his, uh, his escapades and started to conquer the world, there had to be a response. But I feel, after having worked with Syria for five years, six years almost, an enormous frustration about the people believing in military solutions. Uh, I think it's important that every country has a defense of its territory, I live on Gotland, by the way. Mm. And, um, but I, I think, I think um, we have underestimated the power of uh, ideas, the powers of creating good societies. I am concerned that now there is a tremendous growth of uh, military uh, expenditure in the United States and a reduction of huge parts of the financial aid to developing countries mm -hmm. and to the... Uh, uh, NGOs and other actors who work on the civilian side. So um, without being a, a radical pacifist, which I'm not, I'm a Navy officer by the way, but I believe in soft power, I believe in the beauty of building a good society and being an example to others. Thank you very much. Being examples to others, that's important to find the world. You've been listening to Studentafton-podden, a collaboration between Studentafton and Radio AF. All previous episodes are available on studentafton.se and in your podcast app.